Well, this morning we're going to do something a little different, something that you may never have done uh, in a worship service before. We're going to read an entire book of the Bible together as we get started here. And nobody needs to run for the door. Nobody needs to be watching, you know, looking at their watch or anything and be worried about how long this is going to take. The book we're going to read is the book of Philemon. It's a short little book tucked in the back of your, uh, tucked in the back of your Bibles just before the book of Hebrews, just after the book of Titus. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I'd love for you to, to turn it, uh, either open it up or turn it on or whatever, that, however that works for you and follow along. It'll also be projected on the screen behind me. And, uh, and as we read... Um, just kind of pay attention to what the Spirit stirs up in you, the, the words or the ideas that, that, he, uh, that he calls you to, to take note of and understand. And then we'll lock in and really focus in on the ideas of relationships and, and reconciliation uh, between one another and in the church. Uh, but here now, this morning, the, the word of the Lord from the, from the book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, not, it is none other than Paul, an old man now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who has become my son while I was in chains. Formerly, He was useless to you, but now he has become both useful to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not not seem forced, but would be voluntary." Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong, or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends you his greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, and Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Christ be with you in spirit. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now, when I was was preparing for the sermon this week and and trying to get started in writing, uh, I was... 
I was having a little bit of a hard time getting started. I didn't know really how to, how to begin. And my wife came out and she started to talk to me and ask me some questions, trying to help clear it up. And, uh, and as we talked, I told her, you know, I'm, I'm just struggling with wrestling with what the text means and how to apply it and even some of the anxiety and the stress that comes with, with this process. And she said, well, why not just start with telling everybody uh, how Philemon ended up in the Bible? You know, it's this short, weird little book in the back of the Bible. What's it doing here? It's not really like anything else. And I laughed and I said, I, I'd love to do that. But the funny thing is, I'm, I'm not sure that we entirely know what it's doing here and, and how it got here. I mean, don't get me wrong, the book of Philemon meets all the base qualifications for being a book that's included in the Bible. It was absolutely written by the Apostle Paul. It was preserved by the church over the years and, and cherished by them and, and, uh, and, and kept in and, and then presented at the time where the rest of the books of the New Testament uh, were, were brought together and, and made to be, what, to be what the canon is that we have today. But as we look at the letter, it doesn't really seem to, to, to be like any of the others. It kind of seems out of place as we compare it to Paul's other letters in the New Testament. It's not as, as long or as theologically encompassing as something like Romans. It doesn't stir up the same emotions as something like Galatians or 1 Corinthians. And as we read it this morning, we could see that it really was to a very a small population. It was just to a small house church, perhaps in the city of Colossae. And it really seemed to be for their eyes and their ears only. And so it's odd for us to, to kind of get insight into the situation that we don't have all the details. And yet, despite its brevity and its overall lack of commands and instructions, Philemon does offer us something quite extraordinary. We get the opportunity to see the Apostle Paul apply the gospel directly to a life-altering situation in the early church. The letter of Philemon tells a story, a story of struggle and of broken relationships, of redemption, of love, and of reconciliation. But in order to see all this, we first have to try to reconstruct the details. We kind of got to look at the details and, and figure out what's going on, especially between the three chief characters of the letter, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Now, Paul is very familiar to us. He's, he's the writer of most of the New Testament uh, letters. He, he, he contributed and wrote to a great deal of the New Testament. And from our text today, we find that Paul wrote this particular letter while under arrest, imprisoned, and in chains. He references this in verse 1, 9, and 13. And we're meant to understand it literally. It's not, it's not a metaphorical being in chains. He literally means that he's imprisoned right now as he writes this letter. And as with so many of the details surrounding the letters in the New Testament, we kind of have to do a little bit of guesswork and, and line up the history as best we can. But our, our best guess is that he's probably writing this letter around 53 or 55 AD while imprisoned in the, in the city of Ephesus. Uh, if you have a study Bible, it might also suggest that he could have been in the city of Rome. One or the two are, are, are both interpretations are just fine. Um, but he, he is definitely imprisoned at this moment, either chained to a Roman guard or perhaps chained to the walls of his prison as he, as he gets uh, this letter sent out to his friend Philemon who is the second person that we need to, to get to know. Paul describes Philemon as a dear friend and a fellow worker. He's a partner of Paul in ministry. We don't get to meet Philemon anywhere else in the, in the New Testament, but from everything we read here, he seems to be a really great guy. Uh, Paul says that he thanks God for Philemon when he remembers and, and frequently remembers him in his prayers, and that he's been encouraged by the reports that he's heard regarding Philemon's love for the fellow believers at his church. In verse 7, it says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, my brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Philemon seemed to have a gift of hospitality, a gift of encouragement. He was able to, to pour himself out to the others that were in his church community and lift them up. Now, the last person we need to get to know is Onesimus, and it's his story that, that brings the conflict and the crisis and, and brings about their need for the writing of this letter. In verses 10 through 16 and 18, we, we learn that Onesimus is a slave who had run away. And the shocking thing for us is that he's a slave whose slave owner is none other than Philemon himself. 
Onesimus' name means useful or, or profitable, and, and in the letter we see that something has happened to, in Philemon's, uh, in, in this world that makes it seem that uh, something, some break in their relationship has happened because Paul references the fact that Onesimus has been known as, as useless. That is, uh, a play on the words and, and kind of a bad reputation that he's gotten that Onesimus would have had to tell Paul himself, but says now something has changed and Onesimus has gone back to his, his namesake. He's gone back to being useful to both Paul and Philemon. We're not told why Onesimus, Onesimus ran or told how he managed to run into Paul, but what we are told is that when he met Paul, Onesimus heard the gospel, and he received it for himself, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And now he's sent being back by Paul to Philemon to, to reconcile this relationship. Now, before we go on, we probably need to stop and address the rather uncomfortable news that not only was Onesimus a slave, but he was, his slave owner was also a Christian leader in the first century church. And that's difficult for us to grasp and understand and, 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 uh, and come to this text and really ask the question, what on earth was a Christian leader at this time doing being a slave owner? And it helps as, as we examine this question to understand a little bit about the, the system of slavery in the Roman Empire. It was, it was a system that was largely based on status and economy and power. There were a number of ways that someone could become a slave. Uh, you could be born into it. If you were the, the son or the daughter of a slave, you were often born into that life. You could be captured in a battle or in war and brought back to a life of slavery. Or you could actually sell yourself into slavery in order to help pay for a debt. Um, the, the biggest difference uh, between Roman, Roman slavery and the systems of slavery that we think about is that Roman slavery wasn't permanent. There was a system with which they could engage and, and either earn or pay for their freedom. And in fact, many slaves within the Roman system, sometime around the age of 30, were able to find their way toward freedom. Still, the life of a Roman slave certainly wasn't something to be desired. It wasn't something that anyone was looking forward to getting involved with. It was often uh, filled with violence and abuse. They had to do whatever their slave masters told them to do. Although we do have accounts that some slaves were treated well and could work regular jobs. There were slaves that served in government. They, they were carpenters. They were merchants. They, you know, they, they were able to work kind of into a, a regular and decent quality of life depending on who their slave owner was. The Roman system of slavery is a great deal unlike the system of slavery that we're more familiar with of, of early America. And that system was largely based on race, a result of kidnapping and brutal subjugation, and was lifelong. That system was meant to lock people in to, to that life of slavery basically for, forever. Um, the Roman slavery, system of slavery had a way to, to get out. It, there, there were systems and processes. It wasn't something you wanted to be a part of. And, and I certainly don't want to go as far as to say that the Roman system of slavery was, was somehow better or, or, or somehow something that was okay. All systems of slavery are not okay. They're all things that we want to, to work on to, to get out of this world. We don't want to be a part of those things. But it did leave room for the possibility the Roman citizens who had become believers might retain their slaves and yet treat them well and treat them with love and respect. And in fact, that's what the Apostle Paul asks for, asks for uh, in his letter in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he writes to, to, the, to the Christians in the churches and says, if you own slaves, you need to treat them with love and respect. We need to not be about the way the world tells us to treat them. And he also encourages people, one, don't sell yourself into slavery. That's not something you want to do anymore. And, and two, if you are a slave owner, uh, help them and treat them with love and respect. And he's trying to invite love and care into what would have been a completely loveless and careless system of, of oppression. So Onesimus is this sort of slave. He's owned by Philemon. He's apparently unhappy enough to have attempted escape and run away. In verse 18, Paul alludes to the fact that Onesimus may have wronged Philemon in some way. Perhaps he, he stole from him in order to finance his, his escape attempt. That was a, a fairly common way that slaves would try to gain the money they needed to run away. Uh, they would steal from their master, and then that, that, uh, that would 
that would obviously create a, a further bridge, a further divide between, uh, between the, the, their master and the slave. And so while running away, he meets Paul, he becomes a believer and becomes very dear to Paul. In verse 12, Paul says that as he sends uh, Onesimus back to, to Philemon, he's actually sending his very heart. He's sending someone who's dearly loved to Paul. And so that brings us to the question of why would Paul do this? Why would he send someone back into a, a slavery kind of relationship? Why wouldn't he just keep uh, Onesimus with him and, and write to Philemon and say, you know what, I'm, he's doing great work here. I'm so happy to have met him. Let's just keep him here and, and, and let Onesimus stay with me. Well, I think it's because Paul recognized an opportunity for these two brothers in Christ to do what all believers in Christ must do when confronted by conflict, to be reconciled to one another based on their common love and new identity in Jesus. Paul wanted these two men to do what all believers in Christ must do when they're divided by conflict, to reconcile one another, not, not based on power, not based on a good argument, but based on their common love for Jesus and therefore what should be their common love for one another. That reconciliation is Paul's goal for these two can hardly be missed. The entire letter hinges on that moment in verses 16 and 17 where Paul asks Philemon to accept and welcome Onesimus, not as a returned slave, ready to receive punishment for his crimes, but so much more than a returned slave as a redeemed and repentant follower of Jesus. In verse 16, Paul says that Onesimus is returning no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And it's important that we don't miss what Paul is doing here. What he's claiming about Onesimus is totally radical at this time within the Roman Empire. When, when Onesimus had ran away, he was a slave, he was a fugitive, he was a lawbreaker. He was actually, at this point, eligible for immediate execution. They often crucified slaves who ran away as an example to others to try to keep them entrenched in the system. But something radical and wonderful happened when he ran away. When he met Paul, he became transformed by the gospel that Paul offered. And now he returns not as a, slave, but as, as a slave, but as so much more than a slave. As a brother in Christ, Christ worthy of respect and love. A completely different kind of relationship than he'd had before. Philemon was known as a good man and a great church leader and a, and a refresher of God's people. This is a gift that he has that's mentioned twice, both in verse 7 and in verse 20. And so Paul is asking that Onesimus is added back into this community that Philemon has worked so hard to build and bless and pour himself out for. Paul's saying, this man is now to be welcomed into that kind of a community. You need to invite him into those relationships that you've worked so hard to maintain. But this can only happen if Philemon is willing to embrace what Paul says in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Welcome, welcome Onesimus, the, the slave, the lowest social, social class, someone that society would tell you to cast aside and ignore. Welcome him as you would welcome me, Paul, the, the great theologian, the great evangelist, the great apostle of the Christian church. Paul is putting himself on equal footing with Onesimus and trying to teach Philemon that this man now needs to be seen as equal to you and to me and, to be, and is worthy of love and respect. He wants the fellowship in Christ that these two men now share to create a space of forgiveness and repentance and healing and to bring together that which the world says should remain bitterly apart and opposed. He'd want the same thing for us today, for our relationships and our church to be a space where the ministry of reconciliation can take place based on the mutual love that we have for Christ and therefore the mutual love that we should have for one another. No matter our station in life, no matter where we're at, we need to love one another as Christ has loved us. The simple question that Philemon presents us 
with it, and, and, or that Paul presents us with in the book of Philemon is this. How do we go about this process of reconciliation? How, how could we start engaging in this idea? How can we be like the three men in the story and humble ourselves and commit ourselves to repairing broken relationships? Well, the text doesn't offer us anything prescriptive. It doesn't say like, here's a one, two, three checklist and all of a sudden your relationship is all better. Uh, But I think if we reflect on the stories of Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, we can learn quite a bit about what it means to welcome one another as brothers and sisters in Christ according to who we are after Jesus' love has changed our lives. First, let's take a look at Paul. And, and it's clear in this situation that Paul is trying to be the peacemaker and the mediator. But his, his method of mediation is really quite something, and it's something we want to be sure that we don't miss. It would have been so easy for Paul to write to Philemon and say, Philemon, I'm, I'm the apostle of the Christian church. I'm the very man who, who helped convert you to, to the faith. You need to forgive this guy. You need to just, you know, let these things go and just welcome him back into your church and get over it. And I'm telling you from my position of authority, you've got to welcome this guy back. But in verses 8 through 9, Paul specifically says he's not going to do that. He sets aside his authority. And instead of appeal, appealing to Philemon based on, on power, which is what the world says we should appeal to each other on, he says, finally, man, I'm going ba- to appeal to you based on love. He then introduces Onesimus as a redeemed and cherished brother in Christ. And then he does something amazing. He says, if Onesimus has wronged Philemon in any way, Paul himself is going to assume the cost. Looking at verses 17 through 19, it says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Paul's entire appeal is based on the pattern he's learned not from the world, but from the gospel. Paul had spent a lot of his life, his early life, using his power and his authority to, to demand that people do what he thought was, needed to be done. He would demand that inferiors or, or people that he saw as criminal would, would do what he thought was right. And that led to a whole lot of anger, a whole lot of violence and bloodshed and death. But then Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed. His, his life got transformed by the power of Jesus' love, and now he models the gospel and pursues reconciliation with his brothers in the same way that Christ pursues it with you and me, by making sacrifices, by sharing burdens, and by loving broken people in radical, undeserved, and grace-filled ways. What Paul does here is he actually steps in and, and enacts the gospel in this situation, right? He, he looks at Philemon and says, you know what, I love you, and, and Onesimus, I love you. I understand that there's a conflict between you two, so I'm going to step in and I'm going to do what I can to assume some of that cost. Philemon, if there's anything wrong here, let me help pay for that, and then I want you two to come together and work this thing out. I want you two to come together and see that you need to love one another. It's the exact same thing that the gospel says. It's the exact same thing that, that Christ tried to do. He, he stepped, or did do, he stepped in, and he said, you know what? Humanity, I love you, and God, I love you, but I understand that there's this breach in this relationship. I'm going to step in and assume some of these costs and bring you two together so that humanity, you can seek after forgiveness and repentance, and God, you can grant them forgiveness that they need, and that relationship can be brought back together. That's what Paul's doing in this situation. He's bringing the gospel to bear on these divided people's lives. By applying the gospel directly to the situation at hand, Paul does exactly what we want to do as people that are trying to be peacemakers and mediators in a situation of reconciliation. He draws people toward Christlikeness. He doesn't draw them toward himself. He doesn't say, I'm so great, or I'm the authority in this situation, or I need to be listened to. He looks at these two people and says, you love each other, or you need to love each other because Jesus has loved you. And we reflect the love of Christ in our own relationships. And so he calls them to do that. We want want to call people not to ourselves, but to Christ. 
and reflect the love that Christ has given to us. It takes a ton of humility. It takes a ton of patience. This is not something that just happens overnight, all right? This is probably going to be a long process of understanding one another in the way they've hurt one another, but it's worth the cost and it's worth the time. So what if you find yourself not in the position of Paul in the middle of a conflict, but instead you find yourself in the position of Onesimus or, or Philemon and, and actually being within the conflict itself and, and struggling to be able to, to repair that relationship? What do you do then? Well, this morning I'd like to suggest just two pragmatic lessons that I think we can pull from this text, and this is by no means everything that's here, and if the Lord is pulling you to consider something else, I would love for you to dive into that this week and, and talk about it with your life groups and talk about it with your, with your friends and, your, and, your, uh, and, and your, you know, your spiritual mentors. But the two things that we're going to look here at this morning is first, when pursuing reconciliation, everyone involved has to be willing to come together and work things out. All right, that's really simple. Everyone involved has got to be willing to come to the table, come, to, come together, and work things out. Paul didn't allow Onesimus to, to hide, but he asked him to actually go back and confront and reconcile with Philemon. And I can imagine that conversation was not uh, uh, Onesimus' favorite when Paul first brought it up. He's like, hey, on- Onesimus, you're doing great. I love having you here. You're, you're a huge help to me, but I really need you to go back and, and talk to Philemon and, and repair that relationship. And Onesimus is probably like, nah, man, we're, we're not going to do that. That's, that's not something we're going to do. Like, he could kill me if he wants to. We're, you're not just going to send me back there. And, and Paul responds, no, like, you really need to do this. This is what we do as believers in Christ. And I'll write a letter, and I'll talk to Philemon, and, and you two are going to work on this relationship. And so Onesimus goes back, and, and he goes to the church, and he actually uh, uh, delivers the letter himself to, to Philemon, and it's read before the church. And so the church is looking at this situation and being like, oh, my gosh, these guys have to, like, repair this relationship. These guys have to learn to like each other. What's this going to be like? And then that conversation, right, would have been incredibly difficult because Onesimus has to, yeah, Onesimus has to come forward and, and apologize for stealing probably from Philemon, apologize for whatever he's done to, to hurt Philemon, but at the same time he has to let Philemon know how Philemon's hurt him. And Philemon has to come to the reality that maybe a slave owner and the gospel don't, don't exactly mix in the way that he'd been treating his slave, maybe not only this slave, but all his slaves is something that needs to be repented of and reconciled. And these two would have had to work on this relationship for a really long time. And, and, and as Onesimus go, you know, continues to work in the home of Philemon and carries out these, these tasks, he's then invited in to be a part of the church community and part of the family. And Philemon has to understand what that means and how that's going to affect him as this relationship grows and gets repaired by their common love in Christ. Reconciliation between two flawed, sinful human beings is rarely, rarely ever a one-way street. It's so easy to do hurtful things and say hurtful words and drive a seemingly eternal, immovable wedge between one another. But the rather blunt message of Philemon is this, you need to do the hard work of reconciliation. If you're brothers and sisters in Christ, you've got to set yourself about to repairing these relationships as it's Christ's desire for you to love one another. We're not smart enough or kind enough to heal these relationships on our own. We have to do it in the pattern that our Savior has taught us and relying on his love and his gifts to be able to humble us enough to come before one another and admit what we've done to one another and how we've hurt one another and come together to forgive and to work toward reconciliation. So a question we have for this morning for ourselves is, is there someone in our lives, is there someone in your life whom with you need to pursue reconciliation? If so, know that there's, there, there likely won't be any healing unless you're willing to come together, unless you're willing to go to that person. You may have to be the person that instigates the, this healing process to, to be able to be humble enough to say, hey, I, I value you enough and I value our relationship enough to come together and work on this. 
Now, I want to be clear, there are some relationships and there are some times where, where you're hurt in such a way where coming together is, is not safe for, for one or both parties. And God understands that, and he's going to work on your heart, and he's going to work to heal that relationship itself, and he may do it in a different way. And if it's not, if it's not a safe thing for you to do, then it's okay to step back and say, I need, I need God to do some work on my heart before I confront this person. It's not like Paul just immediately thrust Onesimus back into this relationship before he was, before he was ready to try this. But there are times and situations where coming together can actually start that process of healing. And if that's the situation that we're in, we need to be, we need to be truthful with ourselves about that and enter into this period where God might be able to do an incredible work of healing us in a way we never thought was possible and bringing us back to love our brother or our sister in Christ the way that we should. The second thing when pursuing reconciliation that we must be willing to do is abandon all systems and perceptions of authority. The radical thing that Paul does and asks of Philemon and Onesimus was to let go of the way that the world said their relationship should work. The world had told them that you should be opposed, that you should be in completely different classes, that Philemon, you absolutely should look down on Onesimus, and Onesimus, you absolutely should feel below Philemon. And Paul says, we're going to blow all that up. And you're going to look at one another as equals. And you're going to love one another as, as equals because that's the reality and the new identity that Christ has introduced to you. In Christ, there is no social stratification, no hierarchy of power where some are made less or more than others. And a key part of reconciliation is abandoning the systems and perceptions of superiority that the world encourages us to maintain. It's hard to make peace and repair a relationship with someone who, in your heart, you truly don't believe is worthy of your love. In fact, if you can't really truly love someone the way that that Christ has loved you, if you can't try to see them that way and see them the way that Christ sees them, you're probably going to have a hard time reconciling with God and coming before him because that relation, you're going to feel the stress and the breach of that relationship. But God's going to encourage you and ask you to go to that person and work on repairing that relationship. And these things can happen in really small, subtle ways that we may not even realize. We can look down upon somebody with less education or less opportunity or less money or social status. We can buy into the lies of racism and racial superiority and thus become unable to join hands with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that are just as loved by God as we are. If we become hurt by the systems of superiority and oppression, we may end up, being, end up harboring bitterness and resentment and hatred towards those that look down upon us and keep us trapped in injustice. The gospel of Jesus Christ is incompatible with this sort of behavior. It demands that we work to undermine these sort of things with the love and the power of Jesus in our relationships. We cannot reconcile with others if we believe ourselves to be better or if we believe ourselves to be worse than they are. We have to understand that we are equally loved and equally brought to the foot of the cross by God. If you struggle with loving others in this way, I would like to invite you this morning uh, to consider that and maybe use some time here in a moment to, to repent, to ask God to start working on softening your heart and opening your eyes and letting you see the world as he sees it and loving people as he loves them and even introducing you into opportunities where you can reconcile with people that maybe you've looked down upon or maybe that you've, you've, you've had a broken relationship with the way that you've treated them. If you're struggling in a relationship where you feel like you've been hurt, where you feel like someone is lording something over you and you're not sure how to move forward, I would encourage you to pray, for you to have humility, for you to have softness of heart, and the ability to pray for someone who's hurting you so that that relationship can, can come to an opportunity that you might be able to repair it. Beginning the work of reconciliation right now, this morning, is something that you're invited to do by, by the book of Philemon. You might be someone who can step in as a mediator and call people toward Christlikeness. You might be somebody who can, who can surrender their superiority or, or help somebody surrender their superiority. 
and, and be brought in to the love of Jesus that way. Or you might be somebody who just needs to pray for that opportunity for brothers and sisters to come together and in the love of Jesus Christ, work out their issues of reconciliation and move, for, for, move toward the gospel that Jesus gave us. This morning, we're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's table. We're going we're gonna to have communion together. And it's a beautiful opportunity to, to celebrate this kind of idea. It's, it's an opportunity to remember not only how we were reconciled to God and the incredible sacrifice of his life that he gave for us so that we could have fellowship with the Lord, but it's also an opportunity for us to have fellowship with one another. And we come and, and we take the bread and we take the cup together and we're, we're declaring that we believe that we are one people united before the Lord, loving one another equally as the Lord loves us. And so this morning, I'd like to invite you to an opportunity. You know, I want you to use this time in, in, in prayer as you would normally do to, to come to the Lord and to confess to him, to maybe thank him or, or, or talk to him about something you're convicted of. But at the same time, I'd love for you to look to your left and look to your right and thank God for the people that are sitting next to you in this room this morning. Thank God for the people that he has put in this community that he wants you to be close brothers and sisters in Christ with. If you know them by name, you can thank God for them by name. If you don't know them by name, that's okay. God knows their names and he'll be happy that you're, that you're happy that they're here. But take this time to be thankful for, to the Lord for the community that's been built here and also take the time to consider how you might need to pursue reconciliation in your relationships. If the, if the service would come forward, we'll pray for our time of communion. Heavenly Father, you, you are the God of the greatest reconciliation in history. You are the God who sacrificed yourself to open up a way for us to be able to be united with you once more. And Lord, as we celebrate that at the Lord table, at, at your table this morning, as we celebrate that in the practice of communion this morning, we also want to celebrate the fact and, and chase after the fact that you call us to love one another and reconcile the relationships that we have in our lives. It's no accident who we live next to, who we know, the families that we're a part of, the, the people that we sit next to here, Lord, but all of those relationships are hard. All of those relationships have moments where we need to, to work on loving one another well. And so, Lord, as we come and we reflect on what you've done for us through the, through the Lord's table, we also, we also ask that you would guide us in how to love others well and repair any relationships that are in need. In Jesus Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.